Tennessee, and I'm from Charleston, West Virginia. I go to Taze Valley Baptist Church, the church I'm out of. My pastor's name's John Smith. He told a little bit about how we got to know each other, and all, all that's true. And uh, I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for his investment, his support, his love. I appreciate you all. I've worshipped with you all many times. You just don't know it over the live stream and whatnot. I watched you this morning again. So thank God for you and that I could be here. I got saved in 2011, April 11th, 2011. And uh, I was uh, raised in a Christian home, raised and even graduated from Christian school. If you all know C.T. Townsend, I grew up with him. We was best friends growing up. His dad was my preacher, like my second dad, all those things. Um, so that's a lot of where the connection is made too. Uh, but I ran from the Lord for 29 years. I was in the Marine Corps for five years, and uh, 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 he saved me. One day, I, I can't do it today for the sake of time, I'll tell you uh, my testimony of salvation, me and my wife and my household, uh, so he'll have to invite me back to hear that, all right? So put that plug in there. Uh, but uh, God saved me at 29, and when he saved me, my whole life changed. It was never the same. It was never the same. Any, 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 any words that I said when I was a teenager, and I'm not saying you can't get saved when you're a teen, you can. Uh, any, any, any thoughts that I had about avoiding hell, uh, and I'm not saying it's not a good reason to get saved. It is to avoid hell and to get to heaven. But all the things that I did was all mind knowledge, no heart knowledge. I, I never gave my life to the Lord. I would give him with lip service, but I never gave, him, uh, gave my life to him in my heart. And so for many years I ran, got saved at 29. But when that happened, immediately everything changed in my life. I had a desire that I never had before. Some of you all know what that desire is like. When you lived in sin and now those things that you used to love, you just don't love anymore. And, and maybe you're even caught in still doing them things, but you have a desire to live the way God would want you to live. That is, that is to your account evidence that Christ is real and living on the inside, the desire to want to honor him in your life. And so when I began to try to do my best to honor him, uh, he called me to preach in 2015. I argued for a year and uh, uh, announced that call in 2016. I was working on the railroad. I had a great job. I was a lead man on a gang and making a lot of money, you know, six figures, uh, insurance, and I only say that just to say that God is worth it. I, I, I had that life. I had the American dream. Uh, and the railroad is good. If you don't know, the railroad pays your wife, your retirement, they, they get half of your retirement just for being married to you. So it's a great job. Some of y'all wives are looking at your husbands right now thinking you have missed your calling. You were <laughs> supposed to be on the railroad. So when you retire, they give her, you know, half the, whatever you make, they just give her half of that too for being with you. But anyway, uh, God was dealing in my life and in my heart that I knew there was more than this. And I'm not against you having a good job. I, 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 I want you to have one. But for my life, I was like, there has to be more than the American dream because the American dream just wasn't satisfying, you know. It wasn't really what God had for me. And so I just asked God, whatever you want, I'll do. And so I think it was the end of 2019, roundabouts, that uh, I left the railroad, went full-time at assistant pastor of a church, and through some things there, God has uh, for a year and a half now, put me on the road in evangelism and met every need. And let me say this too. There was a time when there was nothing. There was a time in my following God when I went from a whole lot to absolutely nothing. 
And what looked to be impossible, I promise you, by my power was impossible. But God has made a way in this year and a half, and me being here is one of them, and me knowing him and his support and friendship is one of those things that is written in my phone that I'll never forget. Because God can do the impossible with our lives. And let me not only say this, you don't have to leave a great job and go into preaching for God to be evident or to be God to be working or to be good in your life or for you to even see miracles. I have seen my cupboards be filled and I have seen gas put in the tank and I have been able to to work when there was nothing there to work with. And don't get me wrong, there was days I painted houses, there was days I fixed roofs, there was days I fixed gutters, I did whatever I had to do to put uh, food in my uh, family's uh, mouth. I I did anything that I could do. But but you don't have to do that to see the hand of God. Friend, if you've been born again, you yourself are a miracle tonight. God's hand has been evident in your life just for being saved. Can you believe that God could take someone so lost and, and then wash them away with the blood of Jesus so that he no longer sees the sin, but he sees Christ? That is a miracle. And that, I believe, is worthy of our lives. Now, he did not come for you to die. He came for you to live, not only to live, but to have life and life more abundantly. Now, I believe it's a good cause to die for Christ. We'll look at Stephen in Acts chapter 6. We'll look at that in just a minute. I believe it's a good cause to live and to die for Christ, but he did not come for you to die. He came for you to live. So let's live a life worth him dying for. That's all that I did, and I've wound it up here with you all. And I hope you enjoy it because we'll be together for eternity. (laughs) And if you give me some mean looks, I'm going to come by your mansion every day and remind you of how you treated me. I've got uh, three children. I've got a wife. Her name's Ida, Ida Mae, and uh, three kids. I have a teenager. I have a middle child. He's autistic. And then I also have a two-year-old. So there is a lot of pandemonium at my house. If you want to pray, I appreciate you pray for me, but pray for my wife because she's the one that takes care of all of that and homeschool and everything. Isaiah is my oldest boy. He's 13. Isaac, he's 11. He's my autistic child. And then I have a two-year-old daughter named Shiloh, and she has me whipped, I will admit. Uh, I repent often because I treat her better than I do the boys. I do. I I have to admit that before the Lord and be humble. I I do that because I love her. She's got me whipped, all right? Y'all pray for me. I I preached in West Virginia this morning and uh, drove as fast as I could to get down here. And thank you for the accommodation. Everything's great. And I'm glad to be here preaching for you all tonight. And pray for me in the morning. I take a flight from Charlotte heading to Colorado in the morning. So pray for me and all of that. I'm looking forward to that. That is a dream come true to me, all right? Now we know each other. You're a youth Baptist Church, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6. We'll begin our reading in verse 8. I'm going to read a little part, passive scripture in the 7th chapter, and we'll read a passive scripture in the 6th uh, chapter, and, 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 and for sake of time, of course, in all the reading, we're going to, uh, some of the passages, some of the scripture in verse 7 is Stephen preaching, if you will. So we'll forego his entire sermon. But I want to look at some things and point out, and here's what I want to talk to you today. So today is 9-11. 
It is a day that we never forget. I know that you all don't. You put it on your, uh, on your Facebook page. Never forget a picture of the Twin Towers. Um, your preacher, our friend, is very patriotic. There's nothing wrong with that. I was a Marine. I also am very patriotic. I'm glad to live in this country. I'm glad that God saw fit to let me be birthed here. And I still love my country. I would still fight, I believe, and die for my country. I believe it's a worthy cause to stand for something greater than ourselves. Stephen here stood for something greater than himself. He thought there was something more important than even his own life. And he, uh, we know the story, but he thought Jesus was more important. And how fitting uh, for me and you to be not only uh, uh, not only be able to put ourselves in the story, but really we can live out that practically in our lives today. I want to look at three things about Stephen's life. When I was in the Marine Corps, they had us carry around this card this little red card, and I tried to find mine, and I couldn't. Uh, I've got it packed away somewhere, but in our camouflage, we would put it in our left breast pocket and fold the flap down, and you kept that card over your heart. And on that card, it was called the Marine Corps Values core values of the Marine. And they believed if you would instill and you would do and operate in these three values, then you could be beneficial to the core. You could uh, be a good Marine and you could do the job and you can be counted on and you would actually be equipped and uh, be ready for whatever task is at hand. I want to liken these in the light of, of September 11, a day we'll never forget, those that gave their life so that others may live. You know that the firemen and the policemen and the guards, and I believe there was probably even civilians that ran in to try to get others out. You know, they never really thought about their own life. All they was thinking about is how can I get someone else out? Losing their life in the process. They thought there was something greater than themselves. They thought it was worth the cause to try to rescue even one even if they may perish. And how much like it is is Stephen here that we know he's our first martyr in the Bible we call him that died after Jesus had been uh, 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 killed and, and resurrected. Now we have Stephen dying for the cause of Christ. And we think that, well, the firemen and the, fire, and the policemen and, and the military heroes and, 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 and Stephen and, and Peter and, and, and David and Samson and Paul, that all of these people are greater people or different people or special people. But the reality is those people are made of the same stuff that me and you are made of. And if they can instill something in their heart and life that is greater than them, a greater cause in order to give their life for how much more? than me and you. Stephen willing to die for Jesus Christ was not something that you and I cannot portray and live out in our daily life today. I don't think I'll be stoned anytime soon for preaching Christ, but I've asked myself this question in preparing of the message, would I die for the Lord? Would I be willing to suffer for the Lord? Is he worth it to me? Oh, he is, friend. But is he worth it that I would be willing to give my life? Stephen said he was. Stephen practiced these core values of the Marines that I believe me and you tonight can practice these core values, all right? And I'll talk fast. You just listen fast, and we'll be out of here on time. And I'll tell you the three points. That way, if you want to go to sleep, we'll wake you up when we get done. Honor, courage, and commitment. Those are what the Marines held over their heart. And they said, if I operate with honor and with courage, And with commitment, I can be a worthy vessel to be used by my country. Friend, Stephen, I believe, and we'll look, operated in these three 
attributes. And I think that me and you tonight can make a decision. Look, if you don't know Jesus, and I, I, would, I would like him to say that a lot of the Sunday night crowd, and especially with the Juanas and all those things, there are probably most uh, that have an experience where they've met the Lord. I say it that way because now if you ask, everybody's saved. You, you go to the gas station, you go anywhere, or you're saved, everybody's saved. So I don't want to know if you're saved tonight. I want to know, does Christ live in you? And if he does, you'll be able to tell me, if I'd sit beside you on the chair, you'd be able to tell me of the time that you met Jesus. Let me say this. If you do not know that time I'm speaking of, tonight would be your night. You need no more presentation of the gospel than that. The Holy Spirit can do all of that by himself. Jesus died and he spilled his blood. The blood was enough to pay for the sacrifice, pay the sacrifice for your sin, that the sin that you had. He paid the debt. He was buried and he proved who he was by rising up from the grave on the third day. You have to believe that he says who he is. He's the Son of God. He is God. He took his blood and he offered it before the Father. And the Father now sees the blood of Jesus on your behalf. Now, positionally, you've been made righteous with God. That means you get to go to heaven. <laughs> and your sins have been forgiven. But you should know of the time that that happened. Now you know what the gospel is. You can make that decision tonight. But for the believer, I want you to be able to understand these three values, apply them to your life, and see if the Lord can use you with them. And I believe that He can. If you're in uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 8, say amen. amen. Let's read. <clears throat> And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the uh, synagogue of the Libertines, Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Let me say this in passing. If you get to arguing or disputing with someone from the world or someone that's lost and you're trying to tell him about the Lord, make sure everything that you tell them is not opinion but comes from the Word of God. If you tell them what comes or what thus saith the Lord, if you tell them what comes from the Bible, then they will not be able to resist the wisdom. Why? Because it's no longer Travis's opinion. It's no longer Pastor's opinion. No, it is God's opinion and what God says is true so they was not able to resist what he spake you know why because he got his message from the Lord he got it I believe he knew Jesus I believe he was around he may have even seen him be crucified he was around in that time but we definitely know here he's working for the eyewitness accounters the ones the disciples so they have told him exactly what the Lord has said he didn't have the Bible in the entirety of the time but he's speaking operating in what God what Jesus had said always make sure you go back to what the Bible says and they'll never be able to, to, to dispute your wisdom. It'll be God's. And this is what he said. They, they suborned men. That means they went and got men which said, we've heard him speak and blast him up with words against Moses and against God. They stirred up people and elders and scribes and came to him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses. Those are liars which said, this man seeth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him, and they saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Now go to verse 54 of chapter 7. We'll read these last remaining verses. When they heard these things, he preached to them now. And what he preached is the second longest sermon in the Bible, only second to Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount. He preached the longest sermon. Stephen here, the first martyr, preached the longest other sermon that we know of in the Bible along, uh, with historical texts and so forth. 
When he got done preaching, this is what they said. They heard these sayings. They were cut to the heart. They gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. Jesus standing on the right hand of God. He said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped, his ear, stopped their ears, ran upon him with one accord, and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. If you know who that Saul is, say amen. Praise the Lord. We'll talk about him in just a minute. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He kneeled down, and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Let me pray. Jesus, I love you. God, I pray that you'd use the preaching of the word. You do know that I am highly dependent on the word of God. You have to do the work. God, I thank you for this opportunity, God, but I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross. I pray you'd put your Holy Ghost on display. If they forget my name, may they remember Jesus and the sacrifice made. Lord, I pray that they would instill these three values in their heart, that it may change them, make us more equipped to serve in the household of God. I love you. I expect it in your name. Amen. So I told you there'd be three things that he used, honor, courage, and commitment. Number one, he was a person of honor. Notice what it says in the eighth. A verse that we read in chapter 6 that said he was full of faith. He did great wonders and miracles among the people. And prior to this in, ver- in chapter 6 they said they needed some people that could help with the work of the ministry. He was not the only one that was called uh, uh, but he was one of those that was called and he's the first martyr. He's in the context of scripture. That's why it's him who we are really uh, uh, shooting at if you will or using tonight in the message. But they called some men that were full of faith and the Holy Ghost and they said we want you to serve at this capacity for the church. We want you to do a work for the Lord. Honor means a privilege to fulfill an obligation. When I come up here, I say it is an honor and a privilege to be here. That means that it really is. It is my privilege. I should not be here. Anything north side of hell, to be honest with you, is a good place for me. God should have wiped me off the mat. He should have thrown me away. I should be in a devil's hell of my sin. I know that. I admit that. I was against God many years. There was many times I had to come and live for Him, and He should have thrown me away but he did not he still offered me salvation I accepted his gift of love not all not really understanding it just accepting it and when he saved me not only did he save me but he put me to work and allowed me to have a place where I can serve and I want to say it's an honor to be able to be in the house of God doing something for God a privilege we honor the call it was a privilege to be a marine it was a privilege to serve the country it wasn't grievous and it wasn't a burden friend when we come to the house of God we ought to be glad to be in the house of God and I know you're here so you must be but it's a privilege Uh, even David said I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness and it was David that was the king of kings at the time there's no king greater than David outside of the Lord Jesus and he'll come and set up his throne on that same kingdom on that same throne and David was the king and David said I would rather though even being the king the one that was robed and the one with the crown and the one with everybody he could have made anybody hold the door. He said, I'd rather be the one that's back there holding the door for someone else than it would be in the tents of wickedness. Friends, can I say this evening, it was the tents of wickedness where me and you used to reside. That used to be my home. That used to be where I slept. That would be where I aged. That was where I lived. I was in the tents of wickedness, but there was a Lord Jesus Savior that we sang about that came by, rescued me. We put our hands up for grace. Hey, it was the grace of God that came by where I was in my tent 
spirit of wickedness. And not only did he save me, but he said, you'll no longer have to dwell there. But he picks me up and he carried me to a whole nother place. Uh, heavenly places, heavenly things. Sets me in a new house, and a new home with God's people. And it's my privilege to be here doing the things of God. Stephen, it said in the verse that he did great signs and wonders. Notice that when they called him, he was full of faith in the Holy Ghost. And they said, we need you to do the work. Now he is looking at the same people that killed his Christ. He's looking at the same people. Look, they're doing the same thing. They're causing people to lie. They're causing people to accuse. They're causing people to give reason that they may kill Stephen. Stephen had no idea or no reason, I should say, to think otherwise that he would not live. Uh, and die the same fate as Jesus did. Jesus just perished not long ago. He full well understood that. Now he's taking a stand for God, doing the things of God and he now is facing the same people that will try to kill him for the same belief in Jesus that everyone else had, that he just saw his Savior die for. It is now him that is put on display and he says I will not cower. I will still uh, find my place and do my job having a great honor and a privilege to be able to work with the people and to preach and to do the things of God. Friend, it is an honor for you to be able to be in the house of God, not only but even to have a role in it, friend. What a privilege it is. You know why, and I know it's not easy always getting up and kids and all those things. I understand that. We talked about Sunday schools and and two services, three services on Wednesday. We talked about all that just a little bit ago. It is not an easy task. But what a privilege it is to be able to come to a house of God and worship Him with liberty, with no chains and no, no law, nothing against us that can say, Hey, I'm here to tell the Lord, thank you for saving me and what you've done in my life. It was a great honor and a privilege. What an honor it is to serve the Lord. Not only that, but he had courage. He honored the call because he operated in the call. He, he, he did the signs and wonders. They did what they asked him to do. Now he's faced in front of liars and faced in front of uh, uh, all these in the synagogue that, that, well, we know they can stone him. They can take his life, and I believe he knew that. Notice what it says in verse 15, though, when they looked at him, it said when they, steadfast, they looked steadfastly on him, they saw his face and it had been a face of an angel. Now that same Stephen now is sitting there and he's doing the work. He's honoring the call. He's trying to be the good Christian, right? He's trying to be the, the good servant just like me and you are. Now all of a sudden things take a turn. Things go for the worse, if you will. Now there's liars. Now, now there's, there's accusations. Now there, 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 there's a crime. And now he's guilty. And now they're mad. And, and now they want to know what he has to say about it. And they've really called him into a court of law. And now they are lying against him. And now it's his opportunity to, to say his part. Or, or to give his, uh, 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 give his argument that, 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 that he's doing what he should be doing. And, of course, now they're lying. They can't re- he can't really prove anything, so he begins to preach. But before he begins to preach, I find it interesting that when they looked upon him, they saw the face of an angel. They did not see uh, 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 someone that was cowardly. They didn't see someone that would give in. They didn't see someone that did not care. No, he said, look, I understand what you're doing. I understand what where I am. I even understand what may be the implications of my actions, but yet I will stand and do what's right before the Lord. He was a man, number two, a person of courage. It takes great courage to be able to walk the Christian life. Uh, Maybe my wife said things didn't really get hard until we got saved. 
life changes. It, there, is, there is valleys where, where there used to be none. There are trials where there used to be none. And, and we know even God is a lot of times the author of even those trials. And, and we can't even understand it a lot of times. But he says, regardless of my circumstance and my trial, there's seven other men that have been called into my calling. Yet I'm the one, Stephen, yet I'm the one here on display and now being lied against. And I, I could die, but he had great courage. You know, courage is not not being scared. Courage is being scared, but doing it anyway. Courage is understanding the fear, but going anyway. My dad was a Vietnam veteran. He died in 2010. That's part of my testimony. But when he died, he died of Agent Orange. Agent Orange in Vietnam, they dumped out everywhere to kill all the vegetation. And guess what the government said? It's safe. You take that with what you will, but they're telling us a lot of other things are safe right now too. But we ain't going to get there. I'll let him handle those business. But that, that, that order, he'll take care of that. But they told him it was safe, nothing to worry. Now they're dropping, they're dropping, dropping like flies uh, around uh, the, 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 you know, the 2000s. And, and even still, some of them, they've just not died. They've got cancer. I know many of them of them being in that circle. But anyway, my dad uh, finally passed away. But So Vietnam eventually killed him, eventually. But there was a story one time about a fighting hole. A fighting hole or a foxhole, some people call, is two men will dig a, a hole out in the ground. And you have enough room to stand in. And I've dug a bunch of them. And it, it, I, you would wish you could be tall, but that means i got to dig a deep hole. <laughs> them short guys, man, they dig a hole like that. I'm digging two more feet than them guys. Because your arm's got to be rested just right for your rifle. Then you dig a little hole down in the middle of it, down into the ground. That way if somebody throws a grenade down in your fighting hole, you can kick that grenade down into that hole and then get over to the side and let it all just blow out that hole and hopefully not injure you. Yeah, that's a fighting hole. It sounds good to be a Marine. My dad was in one of those fighting holes, the story goes. And, and Vietnamese, Charlie, they called him. But a Viet Cong uh, 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 soldier, if you will, uh, got into that fighting hole with my dad. I watched him as he cried on the corner of the couch. They didn't talk about a lot of them stories, but as he got older and got sick, he would tell some more things about it. And as he was talking about that, it's obvious that he made it because he was still there. It's obvious that he made it because he survived. He had children. Now he's telling the story. And we said, Dad, how did you make it? How did you make it? How, what happened? We wanted details. We wanted Rambo. We wanted Commando. Clint Eastwood, we wanted to know. Man, are you a big hero, right? That's what we wanted. Oh, but my dad sat there with tears in his eyes. And this is what he said was the way that he was able to defeat that man in that fighting hole he said because I was more scared than he was it takes great courage to be a Christian Stephen was not with the face of an angel pretending that there was no heartache and pretending that it wasn't going to be rough and pretending that it wasn't a trial that ultimately could lead to death. But instead and in spite of that, he said, I'll still serve God. Some of your marriage is falling apart, but you still serve God. Some of your children are wayward, but you still serve God. Some of you is having trouble financially, but you can still serve God. Some of you is wondering why you lost ones and your loved ones and your co-workers. They won't come to the Lord, though you witness, though you pray. Though you try, some of you need help this year to uh, God to heal you and you're begging him and been praying for years for God to turn the situation around. And, and then no doubt it's fearful, but have courage. Friend, it's not easy, but have courage. It takes courage to be in this fight. It takes courage to say, regardless of the fear, I'll go. And you know, we have a great adversary that the world does not have. We have a great uh, 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 help, if you will. We have a great help. The Bible says the Holy Ghost lives in us. 
It says that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in you. You have a great help in the Lord. That'll give you the courage you need. He said, he said when I'm weak, he is strong. The Bible's weird, isn't it? <laughs> it says first shall be last and last shall be first. The weak is strong. Oh, yeah. It takes courage. And trusting in the Lord would come through right in time. And it was Stephen that no law, he perished. Now, he did not make it. We know the end of the story, but Stephen didn't know it at this time. But yet he stood with the face of an angel. I believe God was on him, the hand of God. And he said, look, regardless of what it looks like, I'm going to still get up and I'm going to go. Regardless of what it looks like, I'm going to get in my closet and pray. Regardless of what it looks like, I'm going to stay in my Bible and read. Regardless of what it looks like, I'm going to hold the door at the church. Regardless of what it looks like, I am going for the Lord. Had great courage. Courage. Courage really is right conduct under pressure. It's having the right conduct under stress and pressure. Little story, kind of a funny story. I was in the Marine Corps. We was on our way to go uh, to boot camp. And they pick you up. A lot of people say they pick you up on a bus. Well, in West Virginia, there wasn't many of us. There was only about six of us. And they picked us up in a 15-passenger van. And so it was a retired, uh, a retired Marine, that old guy now, drove the bus. And picked us up in Beckley, West Virginia, and he hauled us down to Paris Island. And when we got through the Paris Island gates, we went through there, and uh, he told us what to do. He said, here's three rules. He says, very simple. Uh, he was trying to help us out. He said, uh, he said, don't look at him no matter what. He said, they don't like that. <laughs> Talking about drill instructors. They don't like that. He said, don't look at him no matter what. He said, do whatever he tells you as fast as you can. Do whatever he tells you. And he said, when he tells you to get off this bus, get out as fast as you can. So we got it. Do what you're told. Get off as fast as you can. And don't look at him. That's easy, right? There's six of us in the bus. One out of six forgot the rules. <laughs> so you do the math. <laughs> Some of y'all's here, what was that second thing he said? Y'all be in trouble. <laughs> anyway, so we had me and a guy named Dingus. That's his last name. Ryan Dingus is his name. And if you saw how my last name was spelled, though there's a lot of people with some messed up names. So Travis Carlock's in the back, six foot three, all the way in the back corner. I told him, I said, I'm not coming down the aisle. I'm coming over the top of these seats as fast as I can. Whoever's in the front, get out because we're coming. The guy Dingus was sitting beside me. His cousin name was Hicks. Hicks was sitting right by the door. He thought, wouldn't that be good to be the first one out of the van? Be a great idea. Have you ever heard this saying, good initiative, bad judgment? <laughs> His initiative was really good, be the first one out. His judgment call of where he sat, bad judgment call. Why? Guess who else is the first one when them doors open up? It is the DI, the drill instructor. And so he sat up there, and we said, we're coming out here as fast as we can. Now, what's the rules? Do what you're told. Get out as fast as you can, and don't look at him. I'm talking about courage. I'm talking about be able to remain even when you're under pressure. Even be able to have the right conduct, and in our application, it'd be godly conduct, 
Stephen here put on display the conduct that was necessary in order to stand for Christ. And Hicks had the order in order to be a Marine. This is what you got to do. There's three easy rules and the door flies open. And the drill instructor, he's a little short black guy with a smoky bear hat on. He's standing there and he's hooping and hollering and cussing and carrying on and he's making you believe everything that he says. He told you that your mom don't love you, your dad don't love you. The only reason you're here really is because they sent you off. You didn't sign. You didn't know. Secretly, they sent you off and you're never going home. And you think, well, I wouldn't believe that. Yes, you would. I, I have never seen a bully like this in my life. You will believe anything that they say, okay? It doesn't matter what they say. You take it as true fact and you walk thereon in this new truth that you've just learned. <laughs> as crazy as it sounds. That same man throws the door open and he's staring directly at my friend Hicks's face. <laughs> You're not supposed to look at him no matter what he says. And what is your natural response when someone talks to you? Look at him. Very good. You are way better than some other people I've asked that question. They'd be like, I have no idea. I'm like, I know you're not looking right now. You are looking that way. Anyway, so we could tell I'm with intelligent folks. That's good. So uh, you look at them, right? That's what you teach people when you shake your hand. You look at them in your eye. You know, that's what Dad told me when I was a kid. So when the guy, and, and the drill instructor knew this too. So he kept saying, do you understand me? He'd be yelling and screaming. And then all of a sudden, do you understand me? Well, your natural response is to look at him. Say, yes, sir. That's what you say anytime. But you're not supposed to look at him. We already got that rule. I keep hammering this home because some of y'all keep forgetting. Hicks did too. He lost his military bearing. All the curtain. Look, he thought, I'm going to sit right in this seat. I'll be the first one out. They'll think I'm a hard charger and I'm good to go and I'm a good Marine and I'll be able to be uh, the squad leader or whatever nonsense he was thinking. But the reality was when life and stress and pressure came through them side doors uh, in the shape of a short black man, he was scared to death. And that guy started going, do you understand me? He'd look at him and go, yes, sir. And then that guy would go, don't look at me. And that guy would go, and then he would go, do you understand understand me and Hicks would look at him again yes sir and he would go don't look at me yeah, don't look at me. Do you understand? Yes, sir. And Hicks, as you can see, I'm doing now trying to keep up. Hicks was losing his mind. And he was like, oh, my gosh, what am I to do? And this grown boy, this grown man, 18 years old, was crying and weeping. And, and he was like, I don't know what to do. And the drill instructor is loving it in his side, in his heart. I know it. He's like, do you understand me? <laughs> and he would go, and then he'd go, don't look at me. And he'd go, ah, do you understand? And about five minutes of that went on, me and his uh, cousin Dingus in the back hollered out, Hicks, don't look at him. <laughs> Finally, Hicks snapped back to reality and thought, oh, rule number three, don't look at him. <laughs> it was the stress and pressure and anxiety. It got him to Harry once was strong, once was sure. You know why we keep preaching this Bible? Because we always need it. You know why we go over the same stories over and over? Because we forget. And on 9-11, we say we want to never forget. On 9-11, we want to remember what happened. We want to remember the terrorists. We want to remember the evil. But we want to remember those that lost their lives, ones that was innocent, our soil, that was doing nothing wrong but working a job. And now they perish, and those that went in, and, and all the service members but friends. There is even something greater than that, and you know it. Jesus Christ is the ultimate hero, friend. And he paid it all. He gave it all so 
that we may be free. And who the Son sets free, He's free indeed. He made a way where there was no way. He made salvation possible. We will all be crippled by the law and were and dead in our trespasses and sin. But He made us alive and well. And friend, I believe that I know that it's a it's hard battle. And I, I believe that I know that it's not always easy. But if the Lord can do such a great feat, if the Lord can do so much for me and you, I believe He is worthy to stay courageous in this thing tonight. To stay courageous. The right conduct in stress and pressure. And last time I'm really finished, really. Here's commitment. Honor, courage, and commitment. You see in the latter parts of the Bible that we read, the latter scripture said they cried out with a loud voice in 57, stopped their ears, ran upon him, cast him out of the city. But it said he looked steadfastly up into heaven in verse 55. He even called on God saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You know, if there had been any time for Stephen to give up, that would have been the time. If there would have been any opportunity at all for Stephen to say, this ain't worth it, that would have been the time. I believe that if Stephen would have said, I'm kidding, I'm sorry, it was just a joke, I believe they would have let him live. I believe they let him go if he'd renounced Christ. But he said, no, I'm staying committed to the cause. It's one thing to find yourself to be in a privileged place, to have honor about being God's child, and you should find it to be an honorable position. That's one thing. But it's going to take courage to walk in this life. It'll take courage to do it day in and day out. But as you do it that day in and day out, the many things and many battles and many wars and many trials and many tribulation and many hardships you'll have to make a decision to be committed every commitment has a cost in a minute we'll just we'll pray here in a minute I don't know how you do it but if you want to make a commitment to stand for God it will come with a cost. I'd like to tell you that it wouldn't, but it always does. Commitment always costs. But here's what I came to tell you. The cost is worth it. Those wicked Persians, if someone killed a man, committed a murder, they would tie that dead man around the guy that killed him and chain the dead man to the live man's body. And the only way that could ever be removed is if the judge came down and said, take the dead man off of the criminal. What would happen as you would carry around this dead body, as you would carry around this load of, of decaying flesh, as it would decay, you know what happens. There's probably some deer hunters in here. As flesh deteriorates, flies and maggots set in, and the part of decaying and that process begins. As he would haul around day after day after day, that, that dead man's carcass on his back chained to him never to be removed. Eventually, the maggots that eat into the corpse would eventually start working their way into the back of the live individual. And as it would begin to work its way into this live individual, it would slowly start the process of eating that man from the back, eating him at small pieces at a time and destroying him a little bit at a time. And if the judge never made the decision to take it off, eventually that, that bounded dead man, eventually that burden and that weight, eventually that crime that he committed, eventually would ultimately kill him and he'd receive the same fate. <laughs> Woo, 
prior to 2011, I was chained with a dead man. And eventually, and slowly, and little bits of a time, my, uh, my life began to be destroyed by the dead carcass that I carried around. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. Stephen, I believe, had an opportunity where he realized without Jesus, I was a dead man. And he said, because of what Jesus done for me, that my commitment uh, is worth the cost. I know that we're not all going to pay with our life, but he did, friend. I wonder if there's any here and you fall at Baptist Church who would say, regardless of the outcome, the commitment that I give to Christ is worth whatever the cost. Here's the reason why. Because uh, just like me, you were chained by the dead man and carried around the weight of sin and could not get away from it. No one could take it. No one could change it. The chains was bound and never to be unlocked again. But there was a great high priest. There was a great judge. There was a great king who could make the rule that says because of my son's sacrifice on a bloody cross of Calvary I will be willing if he will accept me uh, to remove the chains of sin. To remove the dead man's carcass and to give him life evermore and when I decided on that fateful day that I would give my life to Jesus he removed that old dead man from me and what was once was killing me was now was no more and I could live and live free for eternity I am currently living my eternal life today I will not taste death though my body may perish in the ground I'll be with the Lord and I don't know about you but every commitment that I've ever made to Christ after 2011 is all a bit worth it. Why? Because it was him and him alone that removed that dead man from my life. He was dead, friend. He was dead, friend. But Jesus said, take the dead man off of him and let him live forever. The cost is worth it tonight as we stand all over the building. The cost is worth it. Invitation is simple tonight. You come and pray if the Lord spoke to your heart, but it's very simple. I wonder if there's any here that say, you know what? You know what? I want to be in the Lord's army. You know what? I know it ought to always look right and look well and look easy. But I want to be what God wants me to be. This altar's for you. Here's the reality. We can't do it without God's help. I appreciate you if you make a stand. And I love you for making a commitment. But you're going to need God's help. What is this altar? It's a place of sacrifice. Where you lay yourself down. And say, Lord, I'm willing to stay committed for a greater cause. I wonder if there's any like that tonight. All head bows, eyes question. I'll ask one question. All head bowed, eyes closed. I want to ask one question. I'll turn it over to the pastor. Is there anyone here that does not know if they've ever been saved? Does not know that Jesus lives on the inside of your heart? If you died tonight, you do not know if you'd spend eternity in heaven. If that's you, will you raise your hand? I'm not going to say anything or call you out. I just want to pray for you. Anyone here that would say, I don't know Jesus, raise your hand. Is there anyone here tonight that would say, I am saved. And I want to be able to live a life 
worth Christ dying for. I see those hands. Raise your hands and say, I want to live that life that's worth Christ dying for. This altar's for you, Pastor. You come. Matt's going to sing this altar's open. Let's do business with the Lord tonight. That body of death is the same one Paul talked about in Romans chapter number 7. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? That's what Paul was talking about. We've been delivered tonight. Some of us need to recommit. Matt's going to sing the altar's open.